You'll notice in your bulletin it actually says prayer of illumination. If you realize when we say prayer of illumination, we're asking for the Holy Spirit to come and lead us and guide us and teach us and to reveal to us uh, what we can't do on our own and we need him. We basically just sang that. If you you realize, Lord, we need you. And so we are going to ask that God would just lead our time, uh, that he would come and he would teach us and guide us. And so, Lord, we do thank you. We do confess we need you. Uh, We pray Uh, we are hopelessly lost without you. And so we ask that your spirit would lead and guide us as we open your word, uh, that you you tell us that you have inspired it, that you've given it to us, that you promised the gift of your spirit to teach us and guide us. And so we pray that you would come and do that this morning, that you would apply the truth of your word uh, to our own lives and to our own hearts, and that you would show us uh, exactly what you want us to see, that we would be encouraged, that we would just see you more clearly. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, years ago, when I was graduating uh, college, uh, my senior year, I started thinking that I wanted to go to seminary and I wasn't sure. And I remember going and talking to my pastor at the time and sitting in his office and telling him I was thinking about going to seminary. I thought that's where God was calling me. And he listened and, and I really loved my pastor at the time. He was just a very gracious man, very wise man. He sat and he listened and he said, uh, I think, and he said a lot of things, but the gist of what he said is, I think you should probably go and work for a couple years. He said, you're about to get out of school and you've got a degree in architecture. And obviously you like that to some degree and you think maybe that's something uh, that you'd like to do. And he said, I think you should go do that for a couple of years. And uh, as you do, you'll you'll see what it's like to work a nine to five job and all these other things. And that will help you later in ministry and different things if you decide to do that. He said, but what will happen in that time as you work is you'll work and you'll either be certain that God's calling you to seminary or you might really like what you're doing. You might really enjoy it. God might be. Uh, see fit just to use you right where you are and you'll continue to do that. And that's great. And maybe that's what it is. And so he gave me some very sound advice. And I look back on that and think it was very good advice. It was actually five years I worked before I ended up going to seminary and then worked in that time doing architecture. But what happened is what he said to me is six months in my very first job, I was miserable. And I knew immediately, I knew almost within the first couple of months that I wanted to go to seminary. And this is not what I was going to end up doing. And I remember that just continued. The first job wasn't that great. Then I had another job that was really, really good, surrounded by great and neat, godly people. It was wonderful, and I learned lots of things. But even in that job, there was a certain futility and frustration that I was just like, this is not it. And so the same thing the next one. And so God just kind of confirmed through that time and through wise counsel. And he told me, and what I saw is that just that God used uh, even the futility of the jobs I was working and the things that were there to point me and direct me to where he would have me. And I saw that so clearly as I walked through that and, and thought about those things and over time. And so I mentioned that this morning, just going through that process and kind of seeing that. Because as we continue in this series today, we've been talking about trusting God in the midst of suffering. And as we do that and as we seek to look at that this morning, what we're going to talk about is seeing how God does this, this teaches us through the futility of the things that are going on in this life and the frustrations and the hardships. And he does that on a cosmic level and he's pointing us to something far greater and something far better. And when we see this truth, it helps us to recognize what's going on around us and it points us to the great hope that we have. And it's a wonderful tool and a great help when we see suffering in front of us, when we're suffering and we're struggling through the futility of life and the things we walk through day in and day out. And so that's what we're going to look at this morning 
And what we've been saying as we started in this series each week is this is uh, the scriptures talk a lot about suffering and it tells us a lot about how to deal with those things and the frustrations and the things that come at us. And what we've been saying is it's a very multi dimensional. There's lots of parts to this when you look at scripture. And so each week we're kind of building on that and we're adding different parts. And so the, for example, the first week we looked at the book of Job and we said there are times when there is suffering in life that we never see a reason for, but yet God knows and he has a reason and he's in control and we can trust his sovereignty, even though we don't understand. And then the next week we talked about Jesus coming into this world and walking and experiences the things that we go through and how he knows our suffering And he's not just as God knows things, but he knows them through experience because he walked and he experienced the same things and he went through it. And then last week we talked about when we're going through those things that God is with us. He is near to the brokenhearted when we're suffering. He's right there with us. He loves us so greatly. He feels it with us and he's walking through those things with us. And so we've looked at different sides of that. And then today we're going to look at this idea that he's using the futility of this world, the frustrations of this world to really point us to a glorious hope and a future that we have. And so that's what we're going to talk about and look at. And the way we're going to do that is we're going to look at Romans chapter eight this morning. And if you want to follow along in your pew Bible, uh, if you use that when it's on page six hundred and thirteen, we say this each week. If you need a Bible or you know someone that does, that's what they're there for. So take one if you need one or you know someone that does. But page six hundred and thirteen in our in our pew Bibles is where we'll be. And so we're going to jump into Romans 8 right in the middle of the chapter. And I just got to real briefly do this. I always say when we when we do series like this, where we go from one passage to the next and we're kind of jumping around, we've at least got to set the context a little bit. And so Paul is writing the letter of Romans to the church at Rome. And what you see when you read through the book of Romans is the most well-reasoned theological argument known to man. He goes through systematically and he builds this incredible case all the way through. And it's just an incredible work. Uh, Obviously, God has inspired it and it's God's word and it teaches us great things. And so when you open up Romans, you get this picture of that God is perfectly and totally holy and righteous. And yet we have sinned and we have been separated uh, apart from him because of our sin And that uh, God shows us that and there is a separation and we can never attain salvation through what we do. We are sinful in and of ourselves. But yet God doesn't leave us in that condition. He comes to us. He provides a way, not through our righteousness, but through Christ's righteousness. He gives it to us as a gift that we receive by faith. And God uh, uh, does that. And then Paul begins to show us how he's always worked that way. He's always saved through putting faith in what God does. He shows you that with with Abraham and he begins to tell us that. And then he begins to show us that we have a great hope because of what God has done and because he has rescued us. And he continues to unfold that in Romans. And then you get to chapter eight where we're going to be this morning. And it's this beautiful, beautiful picture of life in God's spirit and the assurance of this hope that we have. And so when we get to chapter eight and he's built and he's built and he's built and then he says this, these incredible truths that are here in chapter eight. I've heard it said oftentimes that Romans chapter eight is the greatest chapter in the Bible. Now, you can debate that and you can argue that if you want. But that's it's it's you can make a pretty strong case, whether it is or it isn't. I don't know. All God's word is inspired. 
It's all profitable. It's all good. But Romans 8 is incredibly wonderful and encouraging as we look at it. And so we're going to step right into the middle of Romans chapter 8, starting in verse 18. And so let me read for us from verse 18 down to about verse 30. We're really going to spend most of our time in about 18 to 22. But just for context, we're going to read 18 to 30. And so if you would look there as we read together. For I consider the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope. That the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to decay and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the spirit groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoptions as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit. Because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that those that love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called and those whom he called, he also justified and those whom he justified, he also glorified. This is the word of the Lord. We say that I like to point that out from time to time. We say thanks be to God that God has given us his holy living word to teach us and encourage us and remind us. And so it's good to give thanks for God's word. And so we're going to look at those verses together this morning. And this is the way I want to think about it as we do. Uh, There's some huge things that Paul answers for us here and what he tells us and what he's writing. And the first question I want us to ask is why are things like they are? Why is there such a futility and suffering and frustration and all the things that are going on? Because Paul gives us some clues to that. So first, why are things like they are? And then secondly, in light of all the things that are going on and all the things that are like they are, how in the world do we ever get to what Paul's saying in verse 18? That I consider the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. How do we get to where we rejoice in that and we hold on to that and we see that? And that's a real part of our lives. And so that's what I want us to think about is why are things like this and how do we get to that rejoicing in verse 18 there? And so as we think about why things are like this, I want you just to look there. Start uh, look at verse 22 for what he says there. For we know the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. He paints a pretty vivid picture there, does he not? When you start to think about the groaning, the pains of childbirth, he says we see that in all of creation. 
So if you've ever been around a birth, you know that that picture that's there, the the pain that comes before a birth that he says, that's kind of what our earth is like right now. That's what the world is like. We're groaning under the weight of it. And so what you see is, is that's a pretty good picture. But then look at what he says of why it's like that. What's going on? So go back to verse 20 for the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope. And so you get this picture that all of creation is subjected to futility. And it says not willingly, but because of him who subjected it. So you ask that question. If you're thinking this is standard, basic, basic. When we read our Bible, who's Paul talking about him who subjected it? Not willingly, but it's been our creation has been subjected to futility. And you say, well, who is the him he's talking about? And we could read that. And even in the light of Romans and what Paul says in Romans five, you could read that and say, well, maybe he's talking about Adam. Right. And in chapter five, it tells us that Adam sinned and through one man, sin entered the world and it spread to all men. And so now sin has gotten into everything and it's kind of thrown everything out of kilter and out of balance. And you could say, well, it's subjected to futility by him, not willingly, but by the one who sinned. You could say that and go, well, maybe that's what it's talking about. Or maybe you take it a step and you say, well, Satan is the one that tempted Adam and Eve. And so maybe it's Satan that did it because he's the one that tempted them with sin. But both of those would be wrong and we'd be missing it if we said that, if we went that way. And I'll tell you why. Look at verse 20 again, because there's a there's a clue right at the end of the verse that tells you, right? Not willingly, but because of him who subjected it. And then he says in hope. Because of a confident assurance of what is to come and what will ultimately be. And so what it's talking about is God is the one who has subjected uh, creation to futility. And you start to think about, well, what's going on there when we say that? Why would he do that? Why would that be the case? And you have to go back to the very beginning and what God created things for and the way it worked. And you go back to the Genesis, the very beginning, God creates Adam and Eve and he sets them in his creation and everything is good. He pronounces it very good and God is there with them and he's walking with them and it's perfect harmony and everything's kind of humming along and it's going great. And there's one rule that God gives Adam and Eve. You can't eat from this one tree. Basically, what God says to them is you trust me. There's certain things you don't want to know. And so don't eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And he tells them that. And there's there's uh, also a consequence that comes with it. You know what he tells them? Don't eat of that tree. And if you do, you will surely die. He says, if you go against this, if you rebel against what I tell you, if you choose to not trust me, there will be consequences to that. And so God sets that up from the very beginning. And that's what you see. And of course, you know what happens. They go, ah, we think we know better than God, which we all do. That's what we do when we sin. We decide to ignore what God's told us and go on our own. And so we decide we know better and we go and we do that. And when we do that, what happens is sin enters the world and all of it starts to kind of unravel. It starts to go against the way the world was very made. Uh, I, I start to think about how that picture looks. It's almost like at the beginning, a top that's spinning and it spins and there's zero friction. and It'll go on perfectly forever. And then the moment we sin, it starts to wobble. Suddenly now it starts to come undone. We've gone against the very fabric of the way creation was made. God was to be the center and we were to look to him and we were to trust him and to make him the center of our lives. And when we decided, no, we know better, we've gone against the way it's made. It's like we're walking away from the power source or God is the light 
And here he is shining brightly and we're right there with him and we've turned our backs and started to walk away and we're walking further into the darkness away from him. Those, those analogies aren't perfect, but you can start to see what's going on. And so God says, if you don't trust me and you do this, you shall surely die. And so what happens at that moment when Adam and Eve sin? Sin has now entered the world. Romans 5 tells us that real clearly and it begins to spread to all things. And you go, well, what happens at that moment is God really has two alternatives. He can destroy the whole thing and wipe it out, right? It's now been tainted and we've sinned and it's entered and he could do complete destruction or he can redeem his good creation and the ones that he created. And in doing so, it's going to cause uh, it's going to come through great grief and great loss and great pain, not only for us, but for God himself to redeem us. It's going to cost him greatly. And so you start to put all that together and you start to see this picture is that God chose to redeem his creation. And now there is a futility that he has subjected creation to because we've rebelled. And you start to see that picture of it all throughout creation. We see this actually very clearly. You don't have to be a believer. You can see this in science. We call the second law of thermodynamics that everything's starting. And sometimes we call it entropy. Things are starting to kind of wobble and they're going to over time it's going to fall apart basically right well romans eight twenty tells you why because god has subjected creation to futility not willingly because of him who subjected it in hope and he had a reason for doing so because you can say well okay that's the picture and yeah we can see that in science and you could kind of go through that but then you go why did he do that what's he seeking to accomplish by doing that why subject creation to futility like this in these ways. And so the picture that we begin to see as we read through scripture is God is showing us the ends of sin. How ugly and how awful and how horrible it is when we turn from him, how bad that actually is. He's showing us the ends of sin and what we do in the way uh, as we've walked away from him. And now it's entered and it's on creation and we see it in all things. Now, there's still marks of God's beauty uh, there's still we are still made in his image, but our image is now marred because we have uh, turned from him. And you see that picture, but it's it's entered into all things. And so you see this picture of God showing us uh, how bad it is when we turn from him and what that does in all these different ways. And so it's made its way into all things. So I was thinking about that picture of when you when you're trying to show or tell someone to get that point across. And I was thinking of of different ads that I've seen throughout the years. Uh, Some of the best ads I've ever seen are actually not uh, anti smoking ads. If you've seen these, there's some really creative ads and different things they've come up with to try to get that point across to show that there's a great futility in smoking. It's not a good thing for you. And one of the ones I saw recently was one that was originally made. I believe it was made in China. And what they did is they had uh, people who were out on the street smoking and, and they had kind of hidden cameras. And what they would do is they would send kids up to them, like eight, nine, ten year old kids with a cigarette in hand. And they'd walk up to these people and they'd say, do you have a light? And they'd ask the person who's smoking and they'd say, do you have a light for my cigarette? And they'd look at these kids and they'd go, no, I'm not going to give you a light. You know, and so they've recorded this and you hear what's going on every single conversation. The adult says, no way, I'm not giving you a light. And one guy goes, don't you know, you know, eight year old kid, don't you know you could get emphysema and you could have a stroke and it could give you lung cancer? He's just telling him all these things. And the kids look, you know, and so what they do at the end of the at the end of the commercial, they go up to all these different people as they hand them a note and they walk off. 
and they say, thank you for putting my welfare, you know, caring enough to tell me, why don't you care about yourself? And in almost every instance, the people read the thing and they look at it and they put the cigarette out that they're smoking and they walk off. Almost all of them. But the picture that comes across real clearly is you see that futility uh, of, of smoking. And here they are, the, the adult that knows where this leads, that's been in this, that's seen it, that's seen it firsthand. They want to tell these kids, this is not good for you. Even when they're not taking their own advice, they would tell them. And so the picture that is there is that, that God even shows us, uh, he's pointing us to something far better, the futility of creation. He builds in as we sin to point us to a far greater hope. Right? Subjecting creation to futility is God's love. I want you to understand where sin leads. And so that's why it says in verse 20 that he subjects it to futility in hope. He has a good reason for doing this. And he wants us to see that where this leads, it's the same thing that God does. Now we've sinned and then he gives us his law. What does he do? He says, have no other gods before me and no idols. That's where he starts. He's telling us up front, the first things he says is there will be great futility in your life if you seek to make your life center around something other than me. You see that? When he says that, don't have other gods and you put me first, right? Don't make idols. God's telling us right up front, there is a futility built in here that if you decide to make your life revolve around your spouse, as good as that is, as wonderful of a gift it is to have a spouse, to have a loved one in your life, if you make that the center, it'll be futility. They will not be able to stand up to that. Uh, God gives us the gift of sex, and he says that's to happen in marriage and a monogamous lifelong commitment. And it's a good gift, but even within enjoyed the way God's told us, even in that, it can't be the center of your life. The same we could say with food, with your job, whatever you want to put, whatever good gift God's given us, if you make that the center of your life, it will be futility. It won't be able to satisfy. You can eat the greatest meal in the world and then guess what? You wake up the next day and you're hungry again. You've got to do that all over. Right? And we do that with all these different things. We seek to fill up with those things and they can't do it. And so you see this picture that God's done. He's built it in. As we exchange the creation for the creator, God says, I'm going to subject creation to a futility so that you see that this is not the thing that will satisfy you. That's why it says in hope he subjected creation to futility. And so you say, well, why is there such a mess in all these things? Well, because of our sin, it's entered in and then God has, has chosen to redeem his good creation. But it's going to come through much suffering and all these things that go with it. And so then the question becomes, how can we say what Paul says there in verse 18? That when we see all the futility and we see the sufferings of this life and all this stuff, that we can rejoice and say it's not doesn't compare to what is to come. And I want you to think about that picture. So look at what he says in verse 21 there, the beginning of 21. Right. So he subjected it not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope. And then verse 21, that creation itself will be set free from its bondage to decay and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. 
Right? And so Paul, how can he say what he says in verse 18? Well, he tells you, he says, God, because he's chosen to do it this way, instead of wiping us out, he's going to redeem his good creation and he's going to subject it to futility and hope. But then he's going to redeem it and restore or regenerate the whole thing. He's going to set it free from the bondage to decay. This is part of his plan of redemption, and it's not the ultimate ends. And so he tells us that it's the, the, all of God's creation is going to get uh, a facelift. But not just a facelift, not just a, a, a kind of redoing or putting new paint and new carpet and try to make it a little better. He's actually going to regenerate it. Right? Make it completely and perfectly as it was intended to be. And the reason I can say that is because Jesus himself says that in Matthew chapter 19. They ask him, they ask him a question about what it's going to be like. And he says, in the regeneration, that's the word Jesus uses, when I sit on my throne. And then he goes on to answer their question. But what he's saying is when I return, I'm going to regenerate all of it. I'm going to make all things new. I'm going to take all the futility and all the decay and all the struggles and all of it. and I'm going to undo it. And I'm going to set it right and I'm going to make it exactly as it was always intended to be. And so it's going to work backwards and it's going to be perfect. And so he says, I'm going to do that with creation. But that's not all he says. Go back to uh, verse 19 there for just a second. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. And then if you you slip down to verse 23, it says not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the spirit grown inwardly as we eagerly await for adoptions of sons, the redemptions of our bodies. And so put those together and see what he's saying. He says creation is going to be restored and completely made new. It's going to be released from its bondage. But he says creation itself is waiting for the revealing of the sons of God. That's those who have put their faith in Jesus. And so the creation is waiting because it's going to be released from its bondage. But then we are going to be released from these bodies and our falling down broken selves. And we're going to be redeemed. So it's not just the creation, but it's us. We're going to get it. He says that there in verse 23. We eagerly wait for the adoption as sons. We groan inwardly. The redemption of our bodies. Anybody excited about that? The idea of a new and perfect, completely redeemed body. A physical self. I'm 37, almost 38. And my shoulder's killing me. My knee hurts. I go, man, I'm... Actually, I said the other day, my shoulder's been bothering me at prayer breakfast. Jerry Croak said, how's your shoulder? I said, it's still kind of bothering me. And he said, well, I know what's wrong with it. I went, oh, you know, kind of perked up. I said, it's OMS. I said, what's that? Old man syndrome. And he said, and it's only going to get worse. And I went, oh. I kind of perked up, was all excited, and then he just crushed me with <laughs> But But that's the truth. That's what we read this morning as we started. 1 Corinthians 15, our bodies are, are, are mortal and they're winding down and they're kind of coming to the end. And we, each year it gets worse and we're kind of the futility of creation is in our created bodies. But what he says is he's going to restore all of it. He's going to put us back together and redeem our physical selves. We're going to have an actual body. And you see that picture. there. It's a beautiful picture that you see in 1 Corinthians 15. It's, it's why C.S. Lewis said once that. If we were to see ourselves in our glorified bodies, we'd be tempted to worship. 
That's how incredible it will be compared to what we are now. And it's a neat thought to think about, but it's going to redeem our bodies. But notice, too, though, what it says there in verse 19, when it says creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. There's a picture there that creation is waiting for the revealing. It's going to be released. But then when we are, creation's waiting for it. And the picture that we see in Scripture is that we're going to inherit this new perfect, recreated, regenerated creation. And so creation waits for the longing with longing for the revealing of the sons of God because we're going to inherit it. We're going to get to use it and be part of it and walk in it and and be part of this new and perfect creation. And so you're going to see this incredible picture when you start to think about all that we go through and the futility of our life. It'll all be gone. And now it'll be perfect. And I want you just to think for a second and you have to make this personal in your own life, the things that frustrate you, the things that are difficult, the things that are hard. Those things are going to be gone. Maybe it's your job. Maybe your job is a real difficulty when you wake up. Oh, I gotta go. I gotta go to work today. And it's very frustrating. Or maybe you work a job and you're a very creative person and you don't get to use your creativity at all. And it's just difficult. It's frustrating and sometimes it's really hard to go. Well, when God comes and he remakes you and he remakes his creation, you're going to do a work that completely and totally satisfies you always. Can you imagine? A work that you never run out of time to do what you want to do. A a work where you never have to balance other things because I got consumed with my work and I don't have time to do the other things I enjoy. A perfect balance of those things. You start to think, I think this week my, my water heater broke and flooded part of my basement. No more broken water heaters, right? God was actually telling me that as I'm cleaning it up, right? Because I've been reading this all week, the futility of creation. It's like, okay, okay, yes, yes. It's not worth comparing what is to come, right? And so that's the picture he starts to unfold for us, that he's going to regenerate all things, setting free the bondage of corruption, giving us this freedom of glory, of the children of God. And you start to see that whole picture and you start to see what Paul's telling you. And then you get to verse 28. Look at what he says. One of the most famous verses. We say this all the time. Whenever there's suffering, whenever there's a hard time. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purposes. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and those whom he predestined. He also called and those he called. He also justified and those whom he justified. He also glorified. God had the choice of wiping it all out or subjecting it to futility and hope so that he could redeem all of it. And when that happens and he does, you will be able to look back and see that all things work together for those who are called according to his purposes. Every bit of it. Every part of it. And there's this incredible uh, promise right there in the midst of that. He says, those whom he foreknew, he predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. And so as you put your faith in Jesus and his spirit comes and he bears witness in your life and he begins to do this, what you're going to see real clearly as you walk with him, as your sanctification, as you grow closer to God, is you're going to see the futility all the more. 
You're going to see it each day in your thoughts and your hearts and the, thing, the things that you want to do but you don't do and all those things that you struggle with. But you get here and he says, I'm going to finish every bit of it. I'm going to conform you to the image of my son. And it's all based on what Christ has done for you, not what you do. Your part is just to be obedient and to look to him and make it all about Jesus. And he's going to do it. And it is a wonderful promise. And so when we take that view and we see suffering in light of what God has promised and what he's told us, it changes the way we see all of it. It changes it from being the pain and suffering of this world. We could say, well, it's all winding down and it's one last gasp before it just all falls apart. But when we read what God's word says, is it says, no, no, no. The winding down and the problems and the things we see are like birth pangs before the new birth. Before the rebirth, before we see the greatest thing that we've ever seen and we cannot even imagine, that will be so wonderful that we will look back and see everything we went through and go, oh, yes, not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to come. It is one of God's great promises. There's a good reason why people say Romans 8, one of the greatest chapters there is in the Bible, and it gives us great resources for looking it's sin and suffering and how we deal with that. And so let's pray. God, we thank you. We thank you for the glorious truths of your word. That all that we see around us in decay and frustration and the things that are there, that you are at work to redeem it. That you are at work to point us to something far greater than the things that we settle for. And for that, we thank you. We thank you that you love us enough to do that. We thank you that you have not left us in this, but you have come to us, that you have provided a way that we can be redeemed. And it's not dependent on us, but it's completely on Christ. And for that, we thank you. I pray that you'd give us this clear picture of what you're doing each day as we walk out and we face hardships and different things in our lives. But we live expectingly to the glory that is to be revealed. We thank you and we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.